Welcome to Life Center Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and our church, visit lifecenternyc.com. Thank you so much. I'm so honored to be here. And I just really have an expectation of what the Lord's going to do because we just saw such an outpouring last night. Who was here? I didn't get to see the hands raised. Come on. God moved. Wasn't it beautiful? I just, I'll never tire of getting a front row seat of Jesus loving on his kids. Like, I just will never tire of that. And then even just first service, I'm actually preaching a different sermon, second service. I felt like the Lord had two portions to deposit into the house. So if, are there any double dippers in the room where you're first? Whoa, okay, yeah. Hey, thanks for giving your morning and afternoon to Jesus. I love that. Um, so I pray you're ministered to, and I'm just expected, and I'm really humbled to be here. This is my first time ministering in New York City. So I've come, awesome. So yeah, hey, thanks for welcoming me. I, um, I've come as a tourist, of course, and love the city because there's, you know, there's a pulse here that's really cool, you know, like. And just you can feel God's heart for the city. And so I've come as a tourist. I've prayed through your city, but I haven't had the privilege to minister in the house, someone's house here. So it's been such an honor. And Megan, thanks for pulling together the singles last night, that gathering. I just loved it. Um, And it's just, I I recognize God's heart for this city, even as I'm ministering this morning, like you all are positioned to really carry in a harvest for this hour. I want you to know you are positioned in a city that is about to have a great awakening. And we really are in a time of history where there's a move of God that's about to be unleashed. And I truly believe you are positioned to carry that move of God. And it starts with that hunger. It starts with that intimacy. But you guys have postured yourself at the feet of Jesus and you just worship the glorious, right? The glorious name of Jesus that is incomparable to any other name, right? Is the name above all names. And you've positioned and postured yourself as a group of people that has exalted the name of Jesus. And you will see Jesus rule and reign over New York City. You will see revival come. You will see a move of God get unleashed. And I truly believe we are in a time we're about to see something truly unprecedented. So, Pastor Bill, thank you for having me. Thanks for trusting me. Um, can I just do a quick endorsement over Tom Crandall that you're going to have next week? My husband and I are really good friends with the Crandalls. Um, we live in San Francisco. They live in Redding. That's about three hours apart in the California area. And uh, they are true revivalists. They are so authentic. They're the genuine, genuine deal. Tom is carrying such a portion and a message of fire in this season. I really encourage you, get your friends, fill the house of God. I know Tom has has a portion, so I'm so excited and honored to be in the same lineup as him. When I saw, I heard Leslie and Chris had been here, and then Tom's here. I'm like, oh, man, this is my tribe. These are my people. So um, I, I, love, I love you guys are just bringing those people in the house because they really have a portion. And then I brought my amazing team with me uh, from the Bay. We're representing the Bay. And then I have Natalia with the cute beanie. And then I have the, the cute bun. Is uh, we, Her name's uh, Lillian. We call her Lily. My husband is notorious for nicknames. Uh, so she's Lily of the Valley, then becomes LTV. So uh, <laughs> that's my husband, 100%. So Tal, and he calls her Tal. So she's now Tal and LTV. Why don't you go ahead and stand? They're going to get up and minister at the end as well with me. They're awesome women of God, prophetic intercessors, worship leader, I mean, deliverance. I mean, they just, they carry the kingdom, so we're privileged to have them run with Sean and I. Uh, my husband's ministering in Georgia this morning, but he sends his love to New York City, and he wishes he could be here, but we just said it's going to be a Smith one-two punch this morning. I'm going to be in New York City establishing kingdom, and he's in this beautiful state of Georgia, right? So, I have a one resource. I have a couple resources, and I actually have been forgetting to highlight it. But I simply want to highlight it um, because some of you may have not been here last night. But I actually released my first book in 2021, and it's my story. It's called "Singled Out in a Couple's World," and it's really the story in which God took me on the journey of discovering what it is to be in a place where I thrive in my call of God, regardless of my relationship status. And I pastored for 13 years before I became an itinerant minister. When I got married to my husband. 
husband actually shifted out of traditional pastoral ministry, and him and I began to travel on the road together. But while I pastored for 13 years, I was a single woman, and I just, I just, I hit so much stuff in the church, and I felt like the Lord says, "I'm going to use your story to help reframe how people view singleness. That it's not a curse. Uh, you haven't done something wrong, and you could still walk in the call of God in your life, regardless if you're married or not. You have a call, and you have a purpose. And rather than view it as single years, some of you need to see this as the most fundamental time and the foundational years that God actually builds the rest of your life on how you steward this season of your life. And can I just put something out there that might be a little controversial, but I think it's a healthy, provoking thought, and that is the goal isn't actually marriage. The goal is Jesus. And I just, I just want to shift the paradigm a little bit where that becomes the end all and actually Jesus becomes the end all. Because when Jesus becomes everything, everything begins to fill, be built upon that foundation. That's where you have that, un, that unwavering, unshakable, a foundation without cracks in your life. So if Jesus brings marriage into your life, wouldn't you rather have a solid foundation? So I talked to the product table people because I heard the Lord say, um, just give a discount today. And honestly, I don't normally do that. Um, but I just felt like to, today, I felt like I just want to sell my book at you guys. So normally it's $15.99, but today it's just going to be available for 10 bucks. And so if, if that's something that would bless you or you know a single, because one of my things is uh, filling people with hope in their singleness. I, I really want you to see the empowered place that you're called to live from and the place of thriving and not just surviving. So if you know a single that needs an amen and some hope, you can just go ahead and get this for them, right? It can be an early Christmas gift and they can read it over Thanksgiving, okay? All right, awesome. Are we ready to dive in? Okay, let me get my timer because you know I'm a preacher. And so if you don't have a timer for a preacher, it gets dangerous for y'all. So I'm, try, I'm trying to make sure that um, this is my first date with you, so I'm trying to get a second date. So i got to make sure the first date goes good because if I go too long, you're like, eh, I'm not having her again. Okay, so... Can I share with you with a word that I felt like the Lord is speaking over our nation for this hour? Anyone want to hear that? Okay, I felt like the Lord says a move of God is going to be birthed in 2023 that we haven't seen before. It is time in history, I feel it in the spirit, that we're about to have our thir a third great awakening. And I heard the Lord say that this next move of God is actually going to be marked, and I love this, by his compassion and his kindness. You know, when you study church history, revival histories, where there's been moves of God, every move of God in church history has personality and characteristics that the nations or nation needs at that time. So when we look even just back in our recent history of the Toronto blessing, what was it about? The focus was the Father's heart, the Father's blessing. It was about sonship. We needed to have a revelation in the church that we are sons and daughters and the identity of the Father's love because when you have the Father's love and that revelation, it shifts in the way in which you live, right? You're no longer trying to earn love. You're just abiding in his love, right? So that was a powerful impartation that the church needed. But I heard the Lord say, society has become so harsh. The world has become so harsh. We know this. And I felt like the Lord's going to literally intervene in our society and turn it upside down. And the compassion, the love of God that's going to come in this move of God is going to be unprecedented. And it's actually what's going to usher in this next harvest, and I felt like the Lord says, I'm raising up a company of Davids. And I'm going to break this down on what this means. I'm raising up a company of Davids that are going to move with a compassion for the disenfranchised, the marginalized, the people that feel forgotten and overlooked. And I want to just declare over this house, you are company of David. I heard the Lord say that there are going to be churches that are established all over the nation, nations that have the anointing of David. But we have to understand David had multiple facets to him. So some houses are going to have a posture of war. Others are going to have a posture of worship. Others are going to have a posture, right, of showing the compassion, the extravagant generosity. David was all these things. So the different characteristics of what David represents are going to be having different assignments on the houses. Does this make sense? But it's establishing the tabernacle of David once again. It's an expressive worship that is abandoned and unhindered by what has been previously learned, but an expression of a father who loves them, and it's a place of identity that 
that's already been established. Are you tracking with me this morning? So I want to declare over you, but I actually want to talk to you about the anointing that I believe, and I want to humbly submit this before your pastors, is what I believe in anointing, and it's not the only anointing you walk in, but I think it is a anointing that you're going to walk in, especially in 2023 and beyond. And I felt like I'm coming here as we're wrapping up the latter part of 2022. Can you believe we are almost completed with 2022? Did it just go so fast? So I feel like we're in a bit of this transition. I know someone spoke to that earlier, and it's really accurate. We're in a bit of transition. As we step into a move of God for 2023, I want you to begin to pre prepare your heart to partner with what God is doing in this new season. If you want to partner with what God's doing, I just want you to raise your hand. You're saying, God, I'm partnering with you, right? I love that. Just say it out loud. God, I'm partnering with you. Because he truly is doing a new thing. I felt like the Lord says, I'm preparing a table in New York City for people to come and eat with me. I feel like the King of Kings has prepared a table for the people of New York City to come and eat. It's a table of transformation. It's a table of breakthrough. It's a table of encounter. It's a table where we people come and they sit. They're never the same. I don't know about you. I want to be at that table. Right? We're going to read out of 2 Samuel 4.4. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. And some of you, who's heard of the person Mephibosheth? Do I, yeah, okay, okay. Can you say his name, though? Okay, because I had to practice. I don't know about you. When the Lord told me to preach this portion of scripture, I was like, but I can't phonetically say his name. Like I, so I was like listening. My, my husband's excellent at, phon at phonetics and at phonics. And I, I'll be honest, I transferred schools and I miss phonics. It's a true story. So I have to like, I'm not joking. I'm not great at it. And so my husband, I was like, I recorded him saying it. This is a true story. And I just went through the house for like three days. Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth. Because I didn't want to stumble over it, right, when I was preaching. So guess what? Your girl has practiced, and I'm ready to preach about Mephibosheth. Okay, here we go now. 2 Samuel 4.4. Saul's son, Jonathan, had a son named Mephibosheth, who was crippled as a child. He was five years old when the report came from Giselle that Saul and Jonathan had been killed in battle. And when the child's nurse heard the news, she picked him up, and she fled. But as she hurried away, she dropped him. Someone say dropped. And he became crippled. So this is the backdrop of Mephibosheth. He's a five-year-old boy. He is Saul's grandson, Jonathan's son. So that means he's of royal blood, royal heir. He's born into the royal family. That means he has access to the best of the best. And here's this young boy. And just what seems like another day, he's acting like a typical five-year-old boy. I'm sure he's running around, wrestling, climbing up trees, doing maybe some mischievous little things, having tons of energy. He is just being a typical boy, but what he doesn't realize is his life is about to change. Everything's about to shift because all of a sudden there's an assignment from the enemy that is about to take out his family line. His dad gets killed in battle as well as his grandfather, Saul. And in that moment, tragedy strikes his life and everything changes for Mephibosheth. He woke up that morning, heir to the throne, and by evening that night, he was being taken to exile because he's now a part of the wrong family. You have to understand, in one moment where you thought your life was going to look the same, we can look back a couple years ago collectively as a world and say, there was one moment where all of a sudden it felt like everything changed. For some of you, you've experienced that on a very personal level. You thought it was just another day and you got that phone call. You got, the, you got fired at your position or finances dried up in a, a possible area that had been previous revenue for you. A relationship was strained or, you know, or broken up. You found yourself receiving news you didn't expect to receive. Anyone relate to that? You don't have to raise your hand. You can raise your hand. But you just woke up thinking it was another day and then tragedy knocked on your door. And everything shifted from that moment. And Mephibosheth is walking this out. But the nurse understood the direness, which I'm going to break down a little bit, of why it was so significant. It was greater than just a little boy losing his father and his grandfather. 
She recognized this was a moment because a precedent had been set. Say precedent. A precedent is something that we have a reference point for when this happens, that means this happens. Does that make sense? So the creates an, a precedence is create expectation. So there was already expectation set by the from the nurse, meaning she understood because she had observed before when a king was killed, anyone connected to that king's family would then be killed. Because they were viewed they could not be in allegiance, alliance, or in unity with the new king who was going to be inaugurated. Does that make sense? So they were viewed, anyone with the, within the family of Saul would be viewed as an enemy of the state. That's kind of more our modern day terminology. So the nurse to spare a five-year-old's life that would be viewed as an enemy of the state and would be killed, what does she do? She picks him up and in her haste, but good intention, but in her fear and her haste, she, what does she do? She drops him. And in the drop, it's so brutal, it doesn't just hurt him, it actually maims him. He's crippled. So I want us to understand there is a dire situation that's been created in just minutes for this young boy. And now we're going to fast forward in scripture. So that's your introduction to Mephibosheth at five years old. But now we're going to keep reading in scripture. Now he's a grown man and he has a child of his own. So what does that mean? Years have gone by from the initial tragedy to when God is going to rewrite his story. Okay. So we're going to talk about the redeeming power of God and your story. Are you excited about that this morning? Who needs to hear about some redemption? 2 Samuel 9. Come on, let's keep reading. This is now in the New King James. 2 Samuel 9, verse 1. Let's read. It says, Now David said, Is there still anyone who's left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, At your service, king. And then the king said, Is there still not someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness? of God. And Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan who's lame in his feet. So the king said to him, but where is he? And Ziba said to the king, indeed, he's in the house of Makur, the son of Emil in Lodabar. Verse 5, then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Makur, the son of Emil from Lodabar. And now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and he prostrated himself. And then David said, Mephibosheth? And he answered, here is your servant. So David said to him, do not Fear. For I will surely show you kindness, someone say kindness, for Jonathan your father's sake and will restore, someone say restore, to you all of the land of Saul your grandfather and you shall eat bread at my table continually. But then Mephibosheth bowed himself and said, what is your servant? that you should look upon such a dead dog as I. And the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said, I have given to your master's son, Mephibosheth, all that belonged to Saul and all his house. You, therefore, and your sons and your servants shall work the land for Mephibosheth, and you shall bring Mephibosheth the harvest, and your master's son shall have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. Someone say always. always. Now, I'm the first to say, I don't always understand the timing of God, but I do trust his timing. Because I trust the faithfulness of God. And when we serve a faithful God that we do, we can trust even when things don't go as planned or as expected. We do know that he does not deny himself and his word cannot be voided. We can have a trust and assurance that God will bring to pass that which he started. See, there was a story that had started in Mephibosheth, but it had not been completed. And God doesn't forget covenant. So we got to remember there's a conversation, and for just the sake of just recapping so you catch the essence of it, in 1 Samuel 20, 11 through 17, this is a great study for you at another time just to take even this teaching a bit deeper. But there's a conversation between David and Jonathan who are covenant brothers. Who knows about that beautiful friendship between these two men of God? See, Jonathan's actually the natural heir to the throne. 
But because the Samuel prophet arose and declared King David the next king, because Jonathan was a man of God, he's like, it's not about me. I'm actually going to step out of the line, and I'm going to make sure King David walks in his inheritance, even though it's actually supposed to be mine in the natural. See, Jonathan was such a man of covenant, he put God's ways before his way. He put God's preference before his preference. He made sure the will of God was enacted before his will. Woo! Now that's a surrendered person. And so because of that posture, Jonathan and David made a covenant. And Jonathan said this, if I ever die in battle, as my covenant brother, will you be sure to make sure my children have the inheritance in which I have fought for? See, Jonathan had made a posture of choosing covenant, which put him in a posture of blessing. But he wanted to make sure that his children received what he had fought for, even if he was killed on the battlefield. Well, as the story reads, and as we know, he in fact was killed on the battlefield. But that covenant between Jonathan and David, because David had committed to taking care of Jonathan's family line. Now, why did it take so long for, Jonathan, for David to remember? I don't know. There's the timing factor, right? But I do believe in the Kairos moments of God. And so David, King David, wakes up one day, years before he's made a covenant with his brother Jonathan. Remember, that happened when Mephibosheth was five years old. He's now a grown man with a child of his own. Years have passed by. But one day, King David wakes up. Why is this so important? Because King David is reminded of a covenant that is incomplete. And I hear the Lord saying in this hour, I will complete that which I've started. There are some of you in this room where you've seen the beginning of the breakthrough, but you haven't seen the full manifestation of God's promise. And I want to declare over you, it is not over until it is completed and what God has ordained over your life. I want to fill you with some hope this morning that God's covenant has to be completed because it's who he is. And so here David wakes up because why? God reminded him, man of God, you have a covenant to fulfill. And he says, is there anyone? He doesn't even know. He's that disconnected. He doesn't even know. But God knows. God sees Mephibosheth in exile. Mephibosheth doesn't even know there's a covenant that exists. But God knows and puts in motion what a father had decreed and declared for the generation. And the generation's about to experience a blessing that they actually had nothing to do with. I want to tell you there are some Jonathans in this room right now where you have come from a lineage where there's been some Saul decisions that have robbed the blessing of the Lord over your family line. But all God needs is a Jonathan to restore a Saul lineage. All God needs is a Jonathan to position themselves in covenant and your family line is about to get rewritten. I want you to understand God honors covenant. So the decisions you are making in your life right now actually have generational impact. Never underestimate the position and the posture in which you're taking right now that says, I'm going to give everything to you, Jesus. It's not about me. It's all about you let my life give you the full glory and Jesus whatever it takes for revival to be birthed in my city in my family in my life I want to walk in the fullness of what you have for me he's like I see a Jonathan yeah. I want you to know we are going to see and some of them even like Jonathan the blessing continued even when he was in the grave See, I want the kind of life that keeps getting a blessing on my generations well after I'm gone. I want my children, my children's children, my children's children's children. I want my family. I want my nieces, my nephew. I want, I want anyone that's connected to me where they experience a blessing because of the decisions and the life I live now. Don't underestimate the power of your posture in covenant. See, David arises out one day, and he's like, is there anyone? And Ziba, who was King Saul's servant, as we read, says, oh, but there is one. And he describes Mephibosheth that he's living in Lodabar. You know what the, the name Lodabar actually means? It means land of nothing. Think about that. It's so prophetic, isn't it? So he's this crippled, maimed child that was fully traumatized, taken into a land of exile, living in the land of nothing. What does that represent? 
There's no vision. He's not thriving. He's barely surviving. He's reliant on everyone to take care of him, to wash him, clean his clothes, feed him. He is dependent on people. Every single day he's living in the land with nothing from five years old on, he is reminded every day of the trauma of what was lost, of what isn't. Think about that. And so God is not okay with allowing Mephibosheth to live a life in an, in an existence of what he wasn't created for. Does this make sense? God is like, I'm not okay with that. King David, remember the covenant. King David arises. He's like, oh, I have to show kindness. Remember, this is the great awakening. This is a revival. It's going to be marked by like this. We're going to wake up with a compassion that is a supernatural impartation. I've got to show love to people that are living in the land of nothing. Because I hear the Lord prophesying over those that feel like they're living in the land of nothing. And the Lord saying, what has looked like your land of nothing is about to be your land of breakthrough. I want to declare over you what has looked like lack is about to become abundance. I, I just want you to know that God sees you and that he's actually going to encounter you in a way you didn't expect. In the same way where one moment the enemy robbed a destiny, I believe we're in the moment of one moment God's going to come in and restore. I truly believe we're stepping into a time of the suddenlies of God. I want your expectation to be increased. You're a little sleepier than the first service, and you had more time to sleep. So I need you all to wake up a little bit. Is that okay? You had a little more time. But I want you, I want you to get excited about this with no manipulation, honest, authentic, please. I know I kind of forced that on you. But I want you to get excited because we're about to see the suddenlies of God. There's going to be a day, I believe, some of you are going to walk into work and you've just been hitting the wall, hitting the wall. And, the, and literally it's going to be like promotion, done. Yeah. Pay increase, done. And all of a sudden you have this authority that God's just been like, boom, I've placed covenant on you. Boom, I'm going to fulfill it. Boom, I'm going to finish it. And it's just like, you didn't even know, but what you've been sowing produces the blessing. Because you've just been posturing yourself for God, but your will. God, but your will. It's just covenant, covenant, covenant. God, I just praise you. I worship. Even when it's hard, I just, even in the exile, even the contradiction, even in the persecution, even in the criticism, even in the backlash, God, I just praise you. I praise you. And God's like, boom, just go. Boom, just breakthrough. Right? Moment of the suddenlies. I truly believe God is saying in this hour, I see you. I see the price you've paid. I see the battle you fought. Nothing has been a waste in this season. I want to declare that over some of you where it's felt like, man, I just wasted the last two years. Or I just wasted the last year. Or, man, what, what, is this, has this even been worth it? God has prepared you for what's right around the corner. I, I feel like I came here from San Francisco just to help pull our viewpoint just a little bit wider. Almost to a panoramic view, if I could say that, where we've had a little bit more closed, smaller clips. I don't know how else to say it. But it's like the Lord is expanding your perception to see from a larger vantage point. And God's saying last year wasn't a waste. The battle wasn't a waste. It wasn't for nothing. And God's going to use it all. And I just declare over you, just like God did with Mephibosheth, God sees you. God sees you in the hard places. He sees you what feels like the moments of nothing, mundane, predictable. And God's like, I see you. And don't think I won't bring to pass that which I've promised, that which I've whispered, that which I've prophesied to you. See, just like that nurse, what did she do? She was taking Mephibosheth to protect him. That was her intention. She's trying to save this child. But in the haste, what did she do? She dropped him. I heard the Lord say through this story that you and I as Davids, can I just speak to you as a David? I know some of you might be feeling like a Mephibosheth. That's okay. We'll speak to you in just a moment. There's something for everybody with Jesus. That's what I love. But let me speak to the Davids in the room. Where are my Davids? Come on. Those are my radical, abandoned worshipers, the ones that are warriors, the ones that are just saying, Jesus, I'm, a per I'm positioning myself in covenant, right? And what I love about this picture is I heard the Lord say, this is the season, this is the time in which you're going to pick up what's been dropped. And we're going to start with your life. 
the things the Lord has spoken over you, but you thought, he doesn't know who he's talking to because I can't do that. And God's like, pick it up. Because he makes strong what is weak. He uses the foolish things. It's his signature move. I'm up here holding a mic, point proven. Right? I, I truly believe we're in a time where you've got to own who you are in God. This is, this is not the hour where you have the luxury, if I can be so blunt with you, of being insecure or immature even or comparing yourself to other people. There must be an ownership of who you are in the kingdom of God because this is the hour that requires identity to be solidified because there's such a war over it. This is the moment where the bride actually arises in the fullness of who she is. And we actually are a picture and a beacon of light to a darkness that must bow and cower to the light of Jesus that's within us. But the light can only shine in the fullness when he gets all the glory. One of the greatest assignments of the enemy is to get us to look at ourselves, be critical of ourselves, and get our eyes inward versus external so we can shine the light bright. See, when I pick up who I'm called to be, when you pick up who you're called to be, that prophetic voice, the one who walks in deliverance, the one that doesn't walk in arrogance but godly confidence, that knows that when you walk into a room, oh, yeah, you shift atmosphere because you carry the kingdom of God. And when you walk in the room, everything changes. You need a pastor? Here. You need a deliverer? Here. You need a ref? Here. Why? Because the kingdom of God is within me. Therefore, I have access to all things or whatever the situation requires I can access it for the moment. We are all a five-fold ministry. I just want to declare that over you. I think, and I could get in trouble for this, but I feel like so many people were focused on, am I the prophet, the teacher, the evangelist? You are all things. Why? Because the kingdom of God is within you, and you have access to the fullness. So whatever that situation or season of your life needs, I believe the Lord can pull it out of you. I believe he's that big. He is not limited to us being in one lane. I want to break off. We are in a no longer a one lane season. We are in a full access king season of the kingdom of God. It's time to pick up who you are. I want us to stop as the bride the nonsense of wrestling over am I loved by God. He died on the cross for you. There is nothing more that he could have done for you. And it says in the word of God that your sin cannot withhold you from the love of God. Come on, somebody. He loves you on your best day as much as he loves you on your worst day. Yes, sin has consequences, but it does not affect God's love for you. You have to understand the difference between that. Yes, there are natural consequences to sin. That is the way it is. However, God's heart for you never wavers or shifts. He is always in full, you always have full access. There's always an on-ramp to redemption and restoration with Jesus. You're never too far. It's never too late. You're never too old. Come on, somebody. You need to pick up the call of God on your life and begin to walk in it with authority and confidence. Yes. Have I convinced anyone? I feel a shaking from the Lord in the most holy, loving way. Not with harshness, but come on, like, come on, kids. Know who you are by knowing who your father is. So what's been dropped in your life? The confidence, the intimacy, that fire you used to burn with, the radicalness you used to share your testimony and the gospel with, like you couldn't help but witness to every single person or tell everyone what God's doing. But that kind of got dialed down through the years. You're not as bold. It's become a little more professional. It's You're doing all the motions, but the fire's not there. The first love, it's not there. Like, what have you dropped? This is the moment. This is the season. This is the time. Friends, you've got to pick up what's been dropped. Okay, now let's take it bigger, right? Let's go panoramic. Let's go larger. What's been dropped in the city? What's been dropped over New York City that God has declared and decreed? 
Come on, church, what are you going to pick up over this city? That this is a city of redemption and restoration. This is a city where dreams are made true. This is a city that's called to wealth, but wealth for the kingdom of God. This is a city that's called for influence, but influence for the kingdom of God. Come on, what's the redemptive identity over New York City that's been dropped that the church is called to pick up in this hour? You're called to carry the redemptive message of God's heart for New York City. You could be living anywhere, but God has you here for this season. Do not mistake. God does not make accidents, but what has he done? He's positioned you to carry the heart and pick up what's been dropped. For some of you, there's been things over your family line. Let's bring it back in for a moment. Over your family line that have been dropped, you're the one to pick it up. Come on, somebody. And you're like, yeah, but I'm, I'm not fiery like them, or I'm different than them, or I'm not outgoing. You, you start making it about your personality. The kingdom of God has nothing to do with your personality. It simply is about your posture of surrender. You don't have to be loud and crazy like me. You don't. We actually don't need any more. I'm kidding. No, I actually like loud and crazy. I'm kidding. Be loud and crazy with me. But the point is, it's not personality-based. It's posture-based. I'm going to mic drop myself on that. Right. If, you, if someone has a Twitter in the room, just tweet that because I don't have one. So I just feel, no, I'm kidding. I can't. That's a problem. I, I know. It comes out and I, don't, I, I never remember. What was it? That's it. See, hear that? <laughs> Many years ago, I was working in the fashion industry. Always had a passion for fashion. Hey. So I'd graduated, and I was working in the fashion industry, loved it. And it was, you know, I was like the lone Christian, and I loved it. I, I'm literally the type of personality to take me to the dark places. I'm like, because that's where I shine the brightest. So if you take me to where everyone's saved, I'm like bored. I am. I'm like, uh, great. I mean, I get refreshed there, but like that, it's not where I thrive. I actually thrive by being in the dark places and seeing darkness cower to the kingdom of God. Like that's the way my husband and I are wired. So that's why we're in the Bay because we're going to see revival in the Bay in Jesus name, San Francisco. So I'm in the fashion industry and I'm working like 60, 70 hours a week. And you know, it's, it's super full on. And I had positioned myself because remember this is about positioning. And I positioned myself, uh, my pastor and his wife at the time had opened up their home for me to live with them. And I had been living with some girls that I graduated university with, but they had, I had left for a little bit to move overseas for a while uh, before I took this position. I know it's a little bit of a roundabout story. Uh, but when I, when I left, they were serving God. <laughs> four months later, I came home, they were not. I don't quite know what fully took place in the four months, but there was a real shift in their lifestyle. So when I moved in with them, I didn't know the shift had taken place. So I discovered quickly when there was a lot of craziness happening in the house. And because I've taken a Nazarite call over my life, I literally was like, I'm a Nazarite. This can't be in my home. Like, it, it's not an option. Like, I can't have this in my home because of what God's put on my life into story. So I literally just told them, gave them my two weeks, but I moved out immediately. And so I didn't have a place to go. And I had a lot of friends that were wonderful and they were offering me opportunities to live with them. But again, all of them had compromise in their house. And I just felt like the Lord says, stand your ground. Like, don't just move into any house because you need a place to stay, like stand your ground. So my mom being an amazing intercessor called my pastor who lived like an hour or so north, because I used to drive to my church, because it was just such an awesome church, so I'd commute to that church, and so they opened up their home for a weekend for me, just to have a safe place, just to come and stay, which ended up being two years, look at God's setup, and truly, that's where I discovered the prophetic gift of my life, that's where I got discipled, like, it literally was a divine appointment that shifted the entire course of my life, it is in their home, I discovered my passion uh, for ministry and actually felt called to preach full-time in the traditional sense. It's where I resigned uh, out of the fashion industry and actually went to further Bible training over in Australia. But I want you to understand something. I was in this time of serving and I was working the fashion industry. I was commuting an hour and a half each way. Some of you will get this. So there was three hours of a commute each day plus a 60 plus hour work week. So you get the demand, you get the wear and tear, you get how busy. There's many of you that that is your life or there's parts of that you can super connect to there was a moral failure in the church we were attending at the time my pastor and his wife who were pastoring it 
and the junior high pastor had had a moral failure. It was pretty significant and quite quite damaging, if I'm honest. And I had been helping out with the junior high and the high school ministry at that time. So the pastor came and he said, I know you're really busy. Uh, you're working a full-time job. You're commuting. I get it. But is there any way you could just be an interim junior high pastor? And I was like, my heart, I didn't really pray it through because I was just like excited for the opportunity to serve the church at a greater capacity because I loved the church. I didn't have youth group or anything like that growing up. So I just re really recognized how valuable and life-changing that can be if you have that at that age. So I had so enjoyed just serving it. So without really thinking through the price that I was about to pay, I just go, absolutely. Yeah. I'm like, I'm here for it. So, okay. So what does that mean? You know? And they're like, okay, so that's Wednesdays and Sundays. You're going to be with junior hires. And I'm the type of person, I love junior hires. They're still sweet enough. They'll listen to you, but they're crazy enough. You don't know what's going to happen. Right? Right? So, I mean, and so I was in there the first time. I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm just like serving. I love Jesus. But my whole prayer was, how do I get past, past uh, the bathroom humor to actually get them to encounter Jesus? Like, that was my challenge. Because it was all about, like, poop and bathroom and farting. And it's like all they talked about, right? So I was like, how do we get past this to encounter Jesus? That was the dilemma. And so I'm praying, and I'm just asking the Lord, and he says, just show them uh, the demonstration of who I am and get them to encounter me, and that's where everything changes. So I just begin to prophesy over them their destiny. There was one young man in the back of the room who was really disconnected, emotionally shut down. My parents are both teachers, educators, and my mom is a special education teacher, so she worked with a ton of at-risk kids because a lot of kids that are in at least her program in our hometown, we have a lot of drug addiction. I grew up in southern Oregon, and so she was working with a lot of kids that had been stunted psychologically, mentally, and emotionally through trauma. So it wasn't like a learning disability from uh, their inability. It was because there had just been so much trauma that had caused so many issues. They were just trying to survive, let alone learn. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, so I had been exposed to that enough where I recognized the signs on this kid, right? So I went to the pastor and said, what's going on with Mike? And, he, and I learned that, in fact, uh, there was massive addiction. Both of his parents were full-blown addicts, and actually CPS, Child Protective Services, had been called to the situation. He'd been relocated to his p grandparents' home, but his grandparents were in really poor health, had no transportation, very low income, poverty. Uh, he, had, he had trouble being consistent at school. There was just massive trauma. There were, there were huge gaps in his life. Here's, here's, here's where I'm going with this. He had been dropped. Mike had been dropped through his family structure, through the education system, right? Through the, through the foster care system, he had been dropped. And I heard the Lord say, if, if, you don't, if, you don't, if you don't stand in the gap for this kid, he's gonna fall through the cracks. And so I said, Lord, how do I do that? I'm, I'm super busy, I feel like I'm at capacity, but I felt I had to show up for this kid somehow. So I just said practically, I was like, okay, how do I show up for Mike? And they said, he just needs a consistent ride to church. Super simple, and I was like, I could do that. Again, I did not weigh the price of what I just agreed to. I did not realize it was an additional 30 minutes past the church. That just added to my commute, right? So I'm already commuting. Got to remember, three hours, working a ton, and I've just added an additional hour. Before and after service, I got to drive this kid back, you know, Wednesday and, Wednesday and Sunday. So you're tracking with me. So I'm feeling the price to show up for someone, but I feel God's heart outweighing the price. Right? And so I show up on day one to pick up Mike, and he gets in my car, and he does the worst thing you can do for me. He's silent in my car. Like, don't do that. Like, to literally, if you get into my car, you got to talk to me. Like, it's super awkward. I will over-communicate. I will overshare. I will tell you things you should not know about me because I just feel weird. Like, I feel super weird. So we drive. I'm, like, way oversharing. It's, like, super awkward. And I get there, and in the middle of me teaching the junior hires, and I, I realize I got a half hour back with this kid. Like, exactly. I'm like, oh, no. Like, God, I can't do that. I drop him off. It was torture for me, okay, the first night. First week. And this was just day one. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I've committed to this indefinitely. And how fast are they going to hire a pastor? Like, how long is this going to go on for, you know? And I said, Lord, I like, I legit can't do this. Like, that's, like, torture for me. And Jesus goes, you're driving over an hour to pick him up every time. And so you have an hour to pray in the spirit and get my heart for him. 
And so what did I do? I began to pray in the spirit, and I began to ask the Lord, what do you say about Mike? So if he got in the car and he had nothing to say, which majority of the time he had nothing to say, I would say, well, guess what? I've been praying for you. You want to hear what God is saying about you. So he would just sit there and kind of like nod sometimes or just not say anything. And I just began to, I mean, we were going to have church in my car in the name of Jesus. Like, I just was like, we're going to change atmospheres because I heard the Lord say, this kid has not heard who I think. He is. He's heard what everyone else, he's heard what the enemy has said. But he hasn't heard what God has said. So for eight months, somebody say eight months. months. Twice a week. (laughs) Awkward moments. I just prophesied over this kid. Going and coming, going and coming. Sometimes he talks, sometimes he doesn't. Depending on what was going on at home, right? And I just felt like the Lord says just declare over him. Fast forward. I resign my position. I move overseas. 12 years passed by. Someone say 12 years. years. I've moved other nations. I'm now living in another state. I get invited to minister at a high school that wants revival. They bring me in and God breaks out. It's powerful. The principal son gets saved. Can we get an amen? amen? They canceled classes and got on their face. It was real revival, okay? I stayed in the area because I'm back in Seattle and I'm visiting old friends, right? Because I still have a relationship with my pastor and his wife and a bunch of people that I went to school with, whatnot. Fast forward. I'm going to a party that night with my friend. And I honestly don't really want to be there. I'm tired. I want to chill out. I want to have a blanket, hot cocoa, possibly a Hallmark movie. Like, that's my vibe, right? Like, 100%. And she, like, wanted to go and hang out with people. But I'm super tired. I've been ministering all week. We're in the middle of nowhere because she convinced me to go. And I was like, fine, I'll go. I'll show up. I'll kind of have a good attitude. It's fine. So we're in the middle of nowhere, friends. It is pitch black. It is a one-lane highway. And it has a stop sign. Why? We don't know. A one-lane highway has a stop sign. Exactly. Okay. So she stops because she's an abiding citizen, right? So she stops at the stop sign and she goes to hit the gas and the car breaks down. We're in the middle of nowhere. I don't want to be there. I'm super exhausted. My attitude is not awesome. I'm not being super spiritual. I'm not thinking about the good things of the Lord. I'm thinking I just want to go home. Anyone relate? My friend's super chill, and she's like, whatever, and I'm not as much. And so I just realized I need to take control of the situation. I pull her insurance card. I call the 1-800 number. I explain what's going on. I'm trying to expedite the situation and get home as soon as possible. And I know it's going to be a solid hour and a half before AAA shows up. Come on, somebody. Like, 100%. Hour and a half later, I see the lights. Yes, Venom, true. I see the lights. Sorry if you work for AAA. I see the lights come (laughs) behind And I pop out of the car, and I'm in task mode. I'm not in God mode. I'm in task mode. And I start explaining to him what happened to the car as if he was the mechanic here to fix it. No, he's just here to tow it. Like, what am I doing? Okay? So I explain what's going on, and all of a sudden he goes, are you Krista? And I'm in the middle of nowhere, pitch black, and I'm thinking, was your experience good or was it bad? (laughs) Like, it it depends. (laughs) Like, is this, is this good if I'm Krista or is it not good if I'm Krista, right? But I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's me. And he says, it's Mike. 12 years, 12 years. I'd never been on that highway before or after since I've only been on the highway one time in my entire life to date. And I'm going through the Rolodex because it's, remember, it's been 20 years and he was a junior high kid. He's now like a man, 12 years. He looks totally different. And I'm going through the Rolodex in my because I've lived international, I've lived in other states, I've met so many people, I've lived a lot of life, right? So I'm Rolodex, Rolodex, Rolodex. And all of a sudden it's like, bing. And I was like, you're who I used to pick up. And he goes, yeah. And all of a sudden my stinky little, I didn't want to go there attitude, I start jumping up and down. Because I'm like, Jesus did not bring me in Highway 12 with a random stop sign to have my car break down for there not to be a God encounter. So I just said, I'm going to prophesy over you. So I start prophesying over Mike. and He has a hat on. He takes it. He drops it. He has a clipboard. He drops it. He has his glasses on. He takes them off. He's bawling and crying. We're declaring over him who God says he is. After he's done crying, he says to me, you'll never believe this. Two weeks ago, Krista, I was in the cab of my tow truck. And he goes, I've been in a super dark season of my life. I don't even know if I believe in God anymore, but I cried out to God, and I said, if you're real, 
Will you show me that you love me? And he said, the last time I felt seen and known by you is when that girl Krista used to pick me up and tell me what you thought about me. Will you show me a sign? Two weeks later, I'm on the side of the road prophesying over him. You can't tell me God doesn't see you. You can't tell me that God's not going to pick up what's been dropped and discarded. God cares about you. He cares about your story. He cares about the Mephibosheths in the city of New York. Your city is full of Mephibosheths where they've been dropped by society. They've been dropped by family. They've been dropped by the system. Oh, but there's a Jesus that's coming to call out who they are and restore a destiny and a purpose that they know not of. You can't tell me God doesn't care about your story. Friends, I want you to know there's a company of Davids that's going to go to the highways and the byways and the pitch black and stop at the random stop sign. And all of a sudden, there's that person right in front of you. And you're going to get the word of the Lord that's going to change their whole life. We are called to pluck people out of darkness. We get the privilege of being in the lighting business. <laughs> I just got hit with the legit joy of the Lord. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, yeah. We are in the lighting business, so you can never complain about the darkness. Because you got the light in you. Oh, yeah. You're called to shine, friends. I want you to know, one thing I love about David, and I know I'm going a little long. Am I okay on time? Okay. Oh, no, I'm still good. I'm not even on my red on my phone. I'm actually doing great for me. Okay. Usually it's like blinking, double digits over. We're not even at my, yay. Okay. What I love about David with the story of Mephibosheth, and I think this is really important, I want to make sure you grab this, is David was assigned to break shame off of Mephibosheth. And we know this because in verse 8, when he comes before King David, he says, "What? who am I that the king would appease a dead dog such as I? If you have good self-esteem, you never refer to yourself as a dead dog. Is that, is that safe to say? So he didn't think too highly of himself. He certainly didn't think he was worthy to be in the company of a king. But it was actually exactly who he was born to be. He just never knew it because it had been robbed from him. See, what I love about King David, King David understood there was an assignment to reestablish original intention over Mephibosheth. A different narrative had been sewn into Mephibosheth because he was living in the land of nothing. He felt like nothing. He felt like he had nothing to offer. And God's like, but you're of royal, you're of royal blood. You're called to be at the king's table. So I want you to understand, God, I believe, in this hour, and this is connected with the move of God that is marked with the compassion and the kindness of God, it's going to break shame off people. Shame is like the arch nemesis of identity, right? Again, Marvel movies, DC, there's always the arch nemesis of the superhero, right? If we had that in the world of light versus darkness, that's shame versus God's identity. There's so many people that are limited in an understanding of who they are because they've literally allowed shame to dictate who they are. Now, in the church, trust me, pastoring for 13 years, now ministering for an additional seven years, right? So I've been in ministry for a minute. But just recognizing in the church, there's a, shame is silent. It's quiet. It's not demonstrative. And you often don't know, actually, it's eating someone alive from the inside out. You actually don't even know the damage shame is doing because this is what damages. It's the quiet, silent battles that people go through privately that we have no idea. And the Lord, I believe, in this hour, it's so beautiful, is literally exposing the shame so he can break it off. Mephibosheth's shame had to be exposed so it could be broken off, healed, restored, redeemed, so he could sit at the king's table with confidence he belonged there. Without shame being broken, Mephibosheth the whole time would have felt like a visitor versus family. When 
shame is broken off the people of God, people that come in well before they ever declare Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We break off their shame, and we're showing them who Jesus is. Jesus is the healer. Jesus restore. But they always will know they have a place at the table if they cho so choose to sit there. Right? We'll never allow shame to limit people's posture at the table. But what does shame look like? Shame looks like, here's just a little list I put together, certainly not exhaustive. There's much more than this. But just to kind of give you an idea of the silence of shame. Shame is the divorce. It's the relationship falling apart. It's the DUI. It's the addiction, the affair, the abortion, the mental struggle, the life that never feels organized enough, the abuse, the life that always feels full of drama, the rebellious kid, the STD, not being able to get pregnant, for getting pregnant too young, uh, the loss of a job, the way you look, not having enough money, bankruptcy, the weight gain, the medical diagnosis, getting fired, needing a job, being homeless, not having friends, not feeling like you fit in, the car you drive, the house you live in, the family you're born into, needing help with groceries, needing help making ends meet, feeling emotionally needy, battling insecurity in comparison, and the list goes on and on and on. Shame, shame, shame. But what I love is the assignment of the Davids in this hour is to be eradicators and destroyers of shame. I believe it's truly an assignment of the church today where the enemy has literally just been shame labeling. <laughs> people and part of the freedom that we're going to see in this harvest and this move of God is people stepping out from shame and stepping into identity. Why do we know this is so key in this story? Because you know what Mephibosheth's name actually means? Here's two definitions. First meaning of the name Mephibosheth is exterminator of shame. What? Come on. And the second is destroyer of shame. Hold on. Wait, hold on, Krista. So every time Mephibosheth was living in the land of nothing, maimed, crippled, feeling like he had nothing to contribute, nothing to give, feeling like his identity was lost and robbed, God prophetically had his name mean destroyer of shame. So even in the land of nothing, even in exile, every time Mephibosheth's name was declared, it's literally being prophesied over him, destroyer of shame, come. That's how powerful God's story is over our lives. He even names us with a declaration to declare to us what we're called to walk in. So maybe what's been attacking you is actually a prophesying to you the authority you're called to walk in. Let's flip the script on the enemy and be like, why do I keep hitting this mountain? It's because you're a threat to darkness in that area. The enemy doesn't go after what's not a threat. So rather than let that discourage you, let it get you in position. See, Mephibosheth arose understanding there was a greater call when he sat at the king's table. He did not know that until he was repositioned. See, David understood that healing didn't, doesn't happen solo. It doesn't happen in isolation. It doesn't happen in the land of nothing. Healing happens in community. Healing happens at the table. He understood he had to get Mephibosheth from exile to the table. He had to get him from isolation into a relationship. Come on, somebody. There's some of you that have been avoiding relationship and deep connection because of shame. But guess what today? That shame is going to get broken, and you're going to sit at the table that you belong to sit at because the king of kings has made a place for you. See, I think about who would have been sitting at King David's table. And I think about who Absalom would have been there. You know who Absalom was? It's the son who turned on King David, tried to take the kingdom from him. He was the rebellious kid. He was the disappointment. But David loved him. Oh, he loved his son. And there was always a place, even for the rebellious kid, for the disrespectful, for the dishonoring kid. There was still a place at the table. What does that show us? That when God made you, that he made a place for you. And then I think about Tamar, his daughter who was raped by one of David's other sons. Let's title that for just us to understand for the sake of illustrating. That's like the dirty family secret. It's like the thing you don't want anyone to know. It's like the thing you're like, if, any, if, if anyone knew about that, like, I wouldn't be welcome at the table. You know what I love is it shows us at the king's table the dirty family secrets welcome at the table. Like your mess is welcome at the table, but your mess gets healed, restored, redeemed because Jesus doesn't leave you in your mess, but he brings you into his presence to restore it and heal it. You don't have to, you don't have, to have your mess dealt with to be at the table. You catching this? 
And then I think about David's mighty men at the table. They came from the battlefield. They're stinky. There's no beard oil in sight. Like there's no, it's not, it's not pretty, right? They're hungry. They're, but they're taking off their weaponry and they just sit down. It's a motley, messy crew. And then King David that night goes, boom, boom, on the table. He says, bring in another chair. We now have, from this day forward, joining us, Mephibosheth. And this crippled man is carried in and sat. What does it say? It says what's disfigured is about to be refigured when it comes. I just heard the Lord say that. What has been disfigured. Oh, I remembered it. Thank you, Jesus. What has been disfigured is about to be refigured when it comes into the presence of the king. There are things in your life that have felt maimed and crippled and stunted because you've been dropped. The impact, the blunt impact has crippled and made some impact in your life. But guess what? Today, God's going to bring soundness of mind. Right now, even the Lord is healing mental illness in this room right now. There are diagnoses of mental illness. And I hear the Lord say, don't even call them out because I don't even want to highlight the diagnosis. I want to highlight that God is healing your mind right now. If that's you, it doesn't matter. We don't, we, we don't have to know the details. I just want you to put your hands on your mind right now. Put it on your head. If that's you, there's been a diagnosis of a mental illness. I want to break off that lie in the name of Jesus. And I want to declare the healing power of Jesus over you. For he did not give you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. So we declare the sound mind of the Lord. I break off any shame connected with that diagnosis. I break off any shame connected with that part of your life and I declare the healing power of Jesus be established over your body and your mind is renewed by the power of God now. In Jesus' name. See, Mephibosheth did not know who he was supposed to look like because his father and his grandfather had been killed. David, he didn't even recognize Mephibosheth. Remember, he had, and I hope I emphasized it on purpose when I was reading it, when he, when Mephibosheth prostrated himself before him, King David said, Mephibosheth, and it was a question mark. You don't ask a question that you already have the answer to. He did not know if this was Mephibosheth because it looked nothing like Jonathan or Saul. He'd been living in exile for so long, he lost the resemblance of his family, which was men of honor, men of valor, men of war, right? They were kings. He didn't carry himself like that. Why? Because he'd been in exile too long. He lost the semblance of his family line. Does this make sense? There is a, a, a reigniting and almost like a reintroduction with who you're called to be this morning, this afternoon. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. But the Lord, the, man, the presence of the Lord is here to establish identity. I don't know, does anyone else sense the, the weight of the presence of the Lord about identity? We're going to begin specifically with shame. We're going to go after the arch nemesis. Because once shame is eradicated from your life, everything stops going through that filter of unworthiness. Because if you don't think you're actually worthy of it, you'll never own or pick up what you're called to. It has to begin with the ownership. That ownership can only happen when shame is eradicated. Otherwise, you actually don't believe in what the word of God says over you because you don't think you're worthy. It possibly couldn't be about you. But the thing is, it's 100% about you. But we're going to get the shame out of the way so you can actually receive it. I know I read a list. It's certainly not exhaustive. But when I talk about shame, it's quietness, it's silence. If that resonates with you, whether you understand it or not, I always encourage people, if you feel an unction from the Lord, your heart might be beating fast. You might just kind of have that like knowing. Some of you just know logically, rationally. Others of you are like just feeling the Lord kind of stirring you. I just want you to quickly stand. If you know shame needs to get broken off of your life once and for all, Awesome. I love this. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Hmm. 
in a moment, don't do it yet, but in a moment, because I was just asking the Lord, how do you want to do this, Lord? And the Lord says, and again, just wait before you do this, because I feel like we're going to do it collectively together. And there's going to be power in the collective agreement. I said, Jesus, how do you want to do this? He says, I'm going to break chains off them. There's been, and I saw pictures of chains on your wrists. And as we raise our hands in a moment, not yet, but as we raise our hands collectively, I saw the chains fall down. So it's going to be a prophetic act. And, the, and I felt like with the hands extended, you're no longer bound. It's a, it's a posture of freedom. It's a posture of release. We're going to step from a place that's been hindered into a place of, but God, I accept who I fully am. As you extend your hands, the shame's going to get broken. But you're also, in that exchange, you're going to grab what heaven is saying over you. So I want you to release, but then I want you to grab. Does that make sense? I feel like there's going to be a divine exchange. Can you focus on him right now? I want everyone's gaze to focus on Jesus because it's not me. And I know you know that, but I want to take the eyes off of me. I want us to focus on Jesus, who's your deliverer. It's his name. I just heard the Lord say, there's someone in the room, you're like, I hope this works. But there's not a full confidence in you. It's okay. No one's looking. It's just me. Where are you? Can you just wave your hand? You're like, I hope it works. Okay, I see you. I just want us to collectively as a room, because I'm going to cover those four or five people. We, we, I just want to break them. I want to break a false belief system real quick before we jump in, okay? So just repeat collectively off of me. Jesus, forgive me where I've limited you, and I've made you small and shame big. I thank you this morning that you're going to become big, and shame's going to be broken. I thank you today. Come on, I thank you today. This is my day of freedom. This is my day of healing. This is my day of breakthrough. In Jesus' name. On the count of three, I want everyone to raise their hands. And there's going to be, I really believe there's going to be a divine exchange. I even feel the wind of the Lord in the room right now. I feel a manifestation of the presence of the Lord blowing through the room. On the count of three, I thank you, Lord. There's going to be there's going to be like a corporate deliverance that happens in the room right now. One, two, three. Whoa. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can also follow us on Instagram at Life Center NYC or YouTube at Life Center Church NYC.